According to a video in which Anthony Craddock and his wife interviews John Bedini, who talked about his association with John Shizeka. In that video, John Bedini describes an aluminum primary battery and the data files available for that primary battery don't tell us much, but so this space is an attempt to speculate what that battery technology was. It, what little we know is that it was an aluminum anode battery. And the, the anode was shaped in a wedge shape, in a slot fitted for that shape. And due to gravity and the dissolution process that occurred in the course of utilizing that primary battery, the aluminum anode would dissolve into a sludge consistency and you would stop at a, like a service station, just like a gas station, and they'd clean out the sludge and process it into aluminum wedges for later customers, but for the immediate moment, they would replace that sludge with a fresh, brand-new aluminum wedge at a, at a service cost, of course, and, um, and you probably got credits for the trade of the aluminum sludge ver and getting back the aluminum wedge. Um, so materially, uh, it was an even deal. But um, And then you drove away. Now, Tesla had something similar, but he had, I think, a nickel plate that he recycled. But be that, or zinc, but be that as it may, this was aluminum. Now, we don't know anything else other than it was already in operation as a business, thriving, and John Shizeka's job as a CIA operative was to destroy the company, find, get, get involved, get friendly with the participants, and because he was an inventor and a genius and a prodigy of his own uh, making, uh, he, he earned that right of, of his own birth and, and uh, accomplishments early on as a child even, um, he was able to talk savvy you know, talk shop with people and get uh, uh, friendly with them and get to get their trust. And then he'd find the weak point in the whole operation, just the single weak point, the Achilles heel that would break down, that would bring down the entire operation to destroy it. And he would acquire all of the materials and put it in a warehouse. He had multiple warehouses in, I think, Canoga Park in the San Fernando Valley of uh, L.A. County, Los Angeles County, in which he took John Bedini, invited him, because John Bedini was one of his targets. John Bedini had uh, an invention, an over-unity invention, electrical that he was had, had outsourced the manufacturing. And for some uncanny reason, the, the person that was most important in the fabrication of that device went nuts. And couldn't be, it was not employable anymore, and it brought down the whole operation and put John Bedini's invention out of commission. And John Shizeka took a liking, I, I, I don't know, out of pity or what, of John Bedini. They, they were like-minded individuals and befriended him and started to show him his notebooks of all of the inventions that he had sequestered and destroyed. Now, in thinking about this aluminum primary battery, 
I was trying to guess, estimate, you know, what, how, what was the technology, okay? Now, it, there's, it, there's not too much to think about, right? Um, it sounded like an electrolytic battery. It could have been some other type, maybe a gel or something, but um, in my guess estimate, see, it didn't take much guesswork because I've always wondered about these borax diodes well, why does it have to be borax? Why does it have to be an alkali like baking soda? What if we used a salt? What if we used an acid as the electrolyte? What then? Does it become a battery? Because you've got a galvanic response between two differing uh, electronegativities between the aluminum and whatever else you're using as the, the cathode. Um, I know 100 years ago it was popular to use iron as the cathode. Um, and I had reason to suspect that bismuth might be uh, an, an option, an opportunity uh, to investigate. And I even had somebody tell me <laughs> bismuth might be a good idea um, after I'd already thought of it myself, but I didn't say anything, you know, when they mentioned it to me. Um, so I was just trying to figure out the chemistry, the battery chemistry. How would it be done and, and be a viable commercial operation so that you can make a profit as a business owner and use that profit, if it was extensive enough, to expand your franchise without having to go to the banks for a loan. All right? So, this is my guess estimate. This, this is the purpose of this recording. So, uh, we know it was an aluminum anode triangular wedge. That's all we know. And that servicing was easy matter of a couple minutes just like when you, in the time it takes to fill up your tank with gas so it was a very viable consumer friendly operation all right no harm to the environment apparently nothing toxic you know and um you had a good range uh, primary batteries you can get an awfully good range unlike rechargeable batteries <clears throat> the, the problem is <laughs> what kind of Technology can do you come up with to make it a viable commercial operation? Well, apparently these people already had done so. So my guess estimate is that let's just assume for the sake of argument, for the discuss, for the sake of discussion, that the cathode was iron, and that the electrical electrolytic solution was a either a hydrogen chloride solution, um, you know, hydrochloric acid or a salt of chloride. I would guess, estimate, it would be iron. An iron chloride um, salt. Be that as it may. The gas dissolved in the electrolyte would be a noble gas. And the same gas would be above the electrolyte, above the water, the liquid line, yeah, the water line, let's call it, because it is water. It's going to be a water-based solution. It could be that it was something else, maybe more efficient, maybe alcohol. I don't know. But let's just assume it's water, because I don't know chemistry, you know, so I'll assume water for the sake of safety's sake. <laughs> um, so we have a watery solution of either hydrochloric acid or um, <clears throat> or iron chloride or a mixture of the two, you know, diluted down the right, consistency of those three ingredients and a dissolved noble gas let's say it was helium very easy to acquire they sell it at Walmart in tanks for you to fill up your 
birthday balloons. And being a noble gas, it will not react with anything. So it'll be a non-reactable element, but it's important because we can't have any oxygen in there that could combine with the aluminum, making the recovery of the aluminum very difficult. We don't want it to be difficult. We want it to be easy. We want it to be an aluminum salt with no oxygen, and in the recovery process, um, we'll, we, we don't want to use current. We don't want to use wattage. We just want to use voltage. And the voltage will liberate the chloride and turn it into chlorine gas, which we can recover, but take it out of solution. And that'll free up the aluminum to easily be attracted to um, a negative a, a cathode, a negatively charged terminal, um, to build up on that terminal in the shape of a triangular wedge. And it might be an aluminum rod to start the process, or aluminum wire even, to start the process to build up the aluminum. In fact, aluminum wire is probably equivalent to the amount of mass of aluminum that you lose in the waste, uh, wastefulness, you know, the, the, the margin of error, the margin of waste that, that's in any operation. Uh, it could be equivalent to that. And so you're just uh, replacing the iron, uh, excuse me, the aluminum that you would have lost anyway, starting with a skeletal structure of aluminum wire to start with as your cathode to build up uh, the accumulation of aluminum ions that will be migrating there and coming out of solution and precipitating on that wire, liberating the chlorine as chlorine gas at the same time to be uh, siphoned off above the waterline uh, of the electrolyte and um, recovered and processed to produce hydrochloric acid to, uh, you know, to renew, to, to use it, to reuse and recycle everything. Everything gets recycled, nothing gets wasted for the most part. Um, and I'm guessing, the reason why I guess that iron, iron should be in the electrolyte as iron ions of iron chloride ions would be because we want to prevent the iron. See, we don't want oxygen because we don't want the iron to... Actually, that was it. It wasn't the, the, for the sake of the, uh, the aluminum so much as it was for the sake of the iron because we don't want the iron to react with oxygen. We know it wants to. And so... We want to keep oxygen out of the dissolved gases of the electrolyte and keep it out of the uh, space above the waterline of the electrolyte. Now, this is a hazard of iron and might be an indication to go to something else. Maybe bismuth, maybe something else is less oxidizable than is iron. But for the purposes of simplicity, proof of concept, I'm starting this um, discussion of guess estimation and speculation on the use of iron as the cathode, but I don't think it'll be the most efficient. So, um, because it's not exotic, iron is not exotic, aluminum is not exotic, so I want to start with elements on the periodic chart that are not exotic, so that those of us who have like a beginner's, you know, first uh, 101 chemistry background, you know, and nothing more, can, oh yeah, that makes sense, you know, instead of getting into anything like bismuth, like, huh, you know, <laughs> we don't know, I don't know the properties of bismuth. So, um, so the purpose of the helium is to prevent the oxidation of the iron, and we don't want that. Um, we want um, the iron to stay in the cathode at all costs, 
And so maybe we put some iron in the electrolyte solution to help prevent that as a mixture of iron chloride salts along with hydrochloric acid, weak hydrochloric acid and water, um, and helium dissolved gas and above the waterline gas. Um, And then the aluminum anode, and we have our battery. And we use high voltage, uh, low current, extremely low current, in the recovery process because we don't and maybe we use pulsing at a certain frequency uh, different stages of cleansing the electrolyte of its various chemistries um, maybe uh, it favors uh, one frequency to remove the chlorine gas another to remove the aluminum maybe it has to alternate um, who knows I don't know all kinds of guesswork but I'm just trying to go over the overview of the basics here so we've got this beautiful battery, and now if, I'm guessing, if we're using high voltage, low current to recover the chemistry of the electrolyte, we've got an overunity situation there in which the amount of energy that's stored in that battery for use by the customer is greater than the energy it takes to recover the chemistries. And so the, the, the upfront the, the, the people who observe this won't be the customer, but it'll be the business owner, the recycling plant. They will get the gain of the profit in, in the form of profit because, well, if, if we figure in what the price is going for to change out the aluminum wedges versus what it costs to recover the aluminum and the chlorine, um, we're talking a net gain of profit, and that means the business can expand very readily without even taking out a, a, a bank loan, which, of course, would make the bank sour, <laughs> along with the utility company, because uh, the, the utility company won't be able to charge you a whole lot of kilowatts to re- for in the recovery process because you're not using any watts, because you're not using any current to speak of. It's all voltage. See? So it would anger a lot of vested interests, not to mention... <laughs> The Detroit Big Three automakers and uh, maybe a few others, foreigners, foreign ones, and um, who else? Uh, the, the petroleum industry, you know. Oh my God! And now we're really talking uh, big wigs. So there's a lot of people who would be impacted because, as a technology, it is so commercially viable because it is over unity. I suspect it's it it'll be over unity when you figure in all of the costs involved. It'll be over unity of cost incurred by the company running this this operation the whole if they if they op, if they don't outsource anything and they keep everything under their own umbrella they will end up gaining a, a humongous profit and this kind of technology my god would take off and spread across the planet in lightning speed it's probably why it had to be destroyed and yet it is so simple you know it, i keep coming up with these complex things which was good you know, as an exercise of critical judgment, it helped train me on how to think about electricity. But I don't think commercially. And that's why I'm at now, is coming up with something that is easy to understand and commercially viable as well. Despite the fact that it's probably proprietary infor- um, knowledge that I'm, if, if anything I'm saying is correct, that I'm sharing with you. Because it would have been patented for sure. And we don't know from Bedini's story when this happened, where it happened, so we have no idea 
you know, where to go looking, and we probably won't find, you know, any ads in various newspapers of that era that advertise this. Maybe we will, maybe we would, but um, where would you go to start to look, and what would you look for? You know, this would be a, a pretty big operation just to look for evidence of its existence to verify that, you know, it was a viable commercial uh, enterprise at one point. Um, so I'm going on very little information here, but it sounds to me ridiculously simple and straightforward. When, when you think th through the, the whole thing, the over-unity benefit is not seen by the customer. It's seen by the business owners who run the operation of recovery. The recovery process is where the gain occurs. Um, well, in, in the format of how little cost it would be to run the operation by recovering all of your chemistries so as not to have to go out and rebuy it all new all over again and have the customer dump everything or the service station dump everything and then deal with all that waste, which may be toxic, you know, aluminum in the environment. So if you recover and recycle 99.9999% at a, at a very cost-effective uh, rate of uh, processing, you've got yourself an over-unity business in the form of profit. Seen as profit as the end result, although uh, there is an over-unity energy, you know, in terms of the cost of energy for recovery versus the, the amount of energy the customer is getting to uh, drive around with, if you price it comparable to gasoline usage and, you know, just make it slightly competitive um, to attract customers, obviously, you'd still end up with a humongous gain of profit because of the uh, gain of energy that the, the owner, the business owner, will see and not the customer. Uh, they could advertise it, you know, as such uh, or not. It really doesn't matter <laughs> that the customer, all the customer knows is that it's, you know, great for the environment because you don't put out smog and um, it's cost-effective because it's cheaper at the pump or so to speak, you know, for the aluminum wedge, you know, how many miles you get out of that aluminum wedge, what it costs you versus how many miles per gallon, you know, and how many uh, gallons you would have to store to get the same mileage of that, just one aluminum wedge, you know, what is, how does it work out for the customer? So if it's priced right, the customer will see a cost savings and the business owner will see a cost savings. Everybody will see the overunity as a cost benefit and a profit benefit it, and it won't be seen in terms of an energy benefit even though that's intrinsic to the process of reclamation and reuse and recycling of the materials of the aluminum sludge. So I think I've covered everything. Uh, one last thought. Um, I have to repeat what I've said before because it's germane to what is under discussion here. Why high voltage, low current in the recovery process? Well, when I analyzed what was happening with, um, I can't remember when this happened. It might have been years ago. I was trying to analyze um, high voltage systems for um, battery recharging. You know, what's the benefit? What would be the chemistry? What would be the chemistry of a high-voltage system as opposed to a high-current system, which is conventional? We use 
a maximum of current, a minimum of voltage to recharge a lead-acid battery, and that liberates hydrogen when the battery discharges. And the iron uh, comes off the plates and forms sludge on the bottom of the case, of the battery case, and fills up. And the manufacturers know, oh, I think it was Peter Lindemann's presentation on batteries. Yeah, his work with John Bedini. So this was a couple years ago, 2013, 14, um, somewhere around in there, not 15 that I analyzed his uh, presentation, uh, Peter Lindemann, and figured out the chemistry, why it would it be beneficial to use high-voltage, low-current. So anyway, so in conventional practice, when we recharge a lead-acid battery, we use a minimum of um, voltage, and then whatever current is required to make up the difference, which turns out to be a lot of current from the standpoint of a battery lifespan, the stress it, it induces in the battery, it heats it up and causes it to uh, age and not live very long. And, and you get all this sludge at the bottom and you get a liberation of hydrogen gas. And so what would happen if you used high voltage and just a minimum of current, you know, like 600 volts? That's uh, pulses of 600 volts. That's what uh, Ritalai R-I-T-A-L-I-E dot com, uh, the fellow there, when he talks about using a modification of the John Bedini uh, switching technique that was used in the uh, schoolgirl motor apl applicable to the recharging of a lead-acid battery. And I think he was uh, said he was using like on the order of 600 volts. So what then becomes the chemistry arose in my mind and I wanted to answer that question as a speculative exercise. And I came to the conclusion that when you use high current, low voltage, you liberate hydrogen upon discharge. But when you use high voltage, low current, you put oxygen onto the lead plates during recharge in the opposite phase of the recharging of the charge and discharge cycle of the recharge and versus discharge cycle. Um, so you put oxygen there and you also, of course, you don't get iron accumulating um, on the bottom because you recover the iron because you're using the same process they use to manufacture the lead-acid battery in the first place. They use high-voltage, low-current to put the lead oxide onto the plates and keep it out of the, the gap beneath the plates. They don't want any sludge there and sell it to you that way. They want you to put the sludge there. So they give you recharging methodologies that puts the sludge there and destroys the plates. So that, as Peter Lindemann put it, they have it down to a science, the artistry of the manufacturing of batteries, lead-acid batteries, such that the warranty will occur one month after no, the, the warranty will end one month prior to the lead sludge reaching the point of shorting out the plates. So they have it perfectly timed for your battery to be destroyed, useless, non-recoverable a month after the, uh, the warranty expires. You know, if it's a 36-month warranty, 24-month, whatever it is, they've calculated it all out by trial and error and whatnot so that you you have to go buy new batteries as soon as your warranty is up. You have no choice. 
And that was my first introduction into this scam of you know, battery technology, using batteries for electric cars or whatever, because it's truly a scam. And that's the way Peter Lindemann presented it as. He said they have technology that batteries can last for thousands of miles. And they don't let people have it because they're afraid terrorists might send a little drone sub to some foreign country and blow up the, the port, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever the excuse. Anyway, but that was my analysis of the chemistry of why... See, so when they generate a battery plate, it's the same as regenerative technology. It's no different. The chemistry, the electricity is all the same. The difference is we're not given that. We're given a destructive technology when we are sold recharging technology for lead-acid batteries so that they get worn out and we have to go buy new ones. And this is important. I bring this up because it, it documents the, diff the distinction between the use of high-voltage, low-current versus the use of high-current, low-voltage when dealing with batteries. Um, it makes all the difference in the world as to, well, what are you doing with the chemistry? See, this is ultimately what, it ma what matters. You know, whatever you do with the electricity is just a means to an end. And the end being, what chemistry do you end up producing? What chemical processes do you end up producing? And you have to analyze that and know what you're doing chemically to come up with a battery that is um, what you want. You know, an operation that you, what you want. Obviously, <laughs> what we have in place is what they want. And not good for the customer, but good for the... Uh, Good for business and <laughs> good for revolving business. Okay, so I've covered that. I needed to. That was a sidebar that I needed to to give you a little background after the after I've already given you my speculation. But this is the start off this space with this first um, posting. I know a lot of people don't like to listen. They want to read, but it's easier for me to talk. <laughs> and I've given you the basics of what all what little I know. Open this up for discussion, please. Uh, you got any ideas? Bring them on. Um, obviously, if you go and try to do this, you've got to take stock of the fact that it's not your technology. It's somebody else's at this point. At one point, it was public, but it no longer is. At one point, it probably was public, you know, a patent. But it no longer is. It, at this point, it has been um, through the agency of eminent domain. You can look that up. Uh, the Louisiana counties used that to acquire property after uh, Hurricane Katrina destroyed a lot of properties with mold and whatnot. They used eminent domain while those poor homeowners were living in the stadium in filth. Their properties were being confiscating confiscated right out from under their noses without them realizing or knowing about it because they weren't given notice, due notice. They were in the stadium. They, they just lost everything. They had nothing to go back to, to, to when, once everything dried out to try to, you know, recover and repair the mold. Uh-uh. They, they, the property and everything attached to it didn't belong to them anymore. So I'm guessing through the... Pro, the um, the uh, <laughs> through imminent the process of imminent domain as an excuse, 
these patents have been proprietized. They have been sequestered, but they have been confiscated and made into private property. Who owns the rights? We don't know, and it doesn't matter. What matters is that you don't get to commercialize it for various legal reasons, let alone any other, because the legal process has been invoked. Government and, and, and the political process, the bureaucratic process, has been invoked to take the, what used to be in the public domain, if it was, and make sure you never get to see it or even use it or commercially benefit from it ever again. So with that said, it's a warning. If you want to do this, you do it on your own without any help from anybody, certainly not me, to protect you. And you don't get to make a profit off of it in a very nice commercial way. Such was the case when it was destroyed, when it was an original business model, God knows how many years ago or decades. Who knows when this occurred? Because it's so simple. It's pathetic. It's, this is not high-end technology here. I, you know, all the stuff I come up with took me years to train myself on how to come up with that stuff. So much so that I don't even know how to build it. It's just theory. But this is so simple, it wouldn't be too hard to figure out if it is viable. If, if there really is a cost, if it's done on a large enough scale, you know, at what point of scale, because obviously scale matters, at what point of scale does it become a commercially viable enterprise in which somebody would want to do this, if allowed to? And, you know, maybe we can't do it as a small operation just for ourselves and expect it to come out as a profit, but all the same, as an exercise of uh, critical judgment or of, uh, no, a, a, an exercise of innovative uh, spirit, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit, it would be a nice little uh, hobby, a little project for somebody to under, undertake if they have the means and wherewithal to investigate this question that I'm posing openly to any of you who listen because I don't know enough to shoot it down. So it sounds great to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's flawed, horribly flawed. But I've given you as much incentive as I can think of that might make it work if, you know, everything I've said is taken into consideration, you know, especially being allowed to do it. Now, if you do it in a foreign country and uh, in such a manner that uh, nobody can easily find out about it, um, you might get away with it. You know, in a third world country, you might have a better chance than in any other location. Um, probably not in a technologically advanced country like the, the United States of America. Probably not. This would not be the right place. Consider some other place, and I won't suggest. I'll let, I'll let you come up with the possibilities. There are, there are a few that come to mind that I've known from historical references, but I don't know how good they are. So I, I shouldn't even suggest anything, and I won't. <laughs> okay, sound good? Off we go.